And so today we're finishing up our series about an unlikely hero. Uh, just that God over and over and over uses the most unlikely people in the most unlikely of circumstances. And he uses them for what we're calling heroes. He uses them for his work and for, for his glory. And it's not about them. It's about what God can do through them. In fact, in the New Testament, Paul says this. He says, God chooses the, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He chooses the things that the world says, ah, I don't know. And, and really, he says, the gospel in itself is foolish, that, that God would save us, that, that all of eternity would, would come down to one man, his son born, who lived and died and was perfect and, and paid the price for our sin. And, and literally, the gospel says that it's, it's foolish because you and I, we think, well, what, what can Christ who lived... 2,000 years ago, what can that have to do with my life? And yet, you and I, over and over, have been through the process of coming to believe in God, and, and we've seen it in others. Last week, we had baptisms. How many of you were at baptisms last week? Just amazing testimonies. Yeah, Jeff's right there. He said, I was there, and I got wet. Yeah, because do you know that God changed your life? Absolutely. And it's thrilling, and, and it doesn't make sense, and yet God takes the most unlikely of people, and he rescues them. And he makes them into the heroes that he's called them to be. And so God is about that work. And, and that's what we've been talking about. And we've been looking at the life of Moses. Because Moses was one of those guys. He was an unlikely hero. And yet God chooses him and uses him and commissions him to his work. And it's not in Moses' timeline. It is, it's in God's timeline. And, uh, and so if, if you're just joining us for the first week, uh, let me just catch you up to speed really on where you're at. Um, it, there's this amazing verse in Deuteronomy. Um, Deuteronomy, this, this, how many of you have heard of the book of Deuteronomy? Okay, a few of you. It's in the Old Testament. By the way, I'll, I'll tell you later, but this week we're starting uh, a, a class uh, called Putting the Old Testament Together, like pieces of a puzzle, kind of figuring it out. And Deuteronomy is one of those books in the Old Testament. And Deuteronomy, the actual word means, it's actually a Greek word to look back at it, but, it, but it's a Greek word that means second law or the second time the law was given, okay? And so think about it as, uh, think about it like a series, uh, like a whole series, a whole season of 24, okay? Are you with me? Does that make sense? Uh, have you ever seen this show, 24? A whole season, a whole season is how many hours? It's one day. It's a 24-hour period of time. The whole book of Deuteronomy is given in one speech, okay? And it looks like it goes back all the way and it's a different telling. No, and so... Moses is with the Israelites and they're on the east side of the Jordan and he's recounting the last 40 years of what God has done since they left Egypt. And the book starts out, and I don't know if this one's on the screen or not, but in Deuteronomy 1, uh, verse 2 and 3, here's what it says. Uh, we got it? There we go. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh, Barnea, uh, by the Mount Seir Road, which means absolutely nothing to you and me, Right? That's like, it doesn't mean anything because we don't know where those places are. But guess what? It takes 11 days to get there through the, through the whole travel of, of the distance that took them 40 years to go. It only takes 11 days to travel it. But the way they went took them 40 years. And the book of Deuteronomy is Moses looking back. And that's what we've been talking about for five weeks is how, how God is no respecter of time. And... 
And there was stuff that had to be dealt with in the people of Israel and got dealt with in the desert. And, and it took them 40 years to go from Egypt all the way up to the place that they were ready. And if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you've probably heard us say, what is it in your life that it wasn't convenient? It was only supposed to be a three-day tour, and, and yet it ended up being a decade. And, and you'd never choose that path, but God worked in you greatly through the midst of it. Do you know what I'm talking about? And God chooses unlikely paths for unlikely people. And he makes heroes out of them. Some of you are here because it all fell apart. Some of you are here because of the 40 years in the wilderness, right? Moses was that guy. Moses was the guy who he was convinced that he was going to be part of the people of Israel coming out of Egypt. And, and he was in power in Egypt at the time. And he, he got angry and he committed murder. And he ended up blowing the whole thing. And he was sure he was the guy. And God said, why don't you go sit in the desert for 40 years? And 40 years later, God talked to him. And he said, now I want to use you. And what did Moses say when God said, now I want to use you? He said, not me. And God said, you're exactly where you need to be so I can use you. You're exactly who you need to be so that I can use you now. And so in life, my question to you is, which one of those places are you at? Are you... Are you sure that God needs to use you now because you're the one and you find yourself hitting up against the wall, wanting to be used, wanting God to make it happen. And yet it seems like God has the brakes on. Maybe there's some time, some stuff that God needs to do in your life. Maybe you're at the place where you say, God, you can't use me. Like I know just keeps on getting put in my lap that you want me to serve, but you can't use me. If that's the case, I just heard somebody say yesterday with, uh, at our spiritual advisory board, they just said, that's the surest sign of a calling. When, when you know, God, you, I, you can't use me. I, it's almost the surest sign when you know God's called you to something and you've got tons of doubt about whether or not you can do it. Does that make sense? And that's where Moses is at. So that's who Moses is. He's gone through this whole process. And in Numbers 27, verse 12 through 13, Moses knows that he's going to die. God actually comes to him and he says, Moses, this 40 years has come to an end and, and you're going to die. And this is literally what Moses says, or God says to Moses, go up this mountain uh, to the, the Abraham range, or uh, Abraham range? It's probably Abraham range. I don't know what that is. Sorry. Um, to the Abraham range and see the land I have given the Israelites. So in other words, Moses, go up the mountain. And then the next verse, 13. After you've seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. Aaron was already dead at this point. He says, you're going to be gathered home to your people. So after you go up and you look into the promised land, you've led the people well this far. I'm going to bring you home to be with me. And so Moses knows that. And that really brings us to today. We're talking about the legacy of a leader. Are you with me? I've caught you up to date on where we've been. And, and today we're talking about the legacy of a leader. And the legacy of a leader literally starts with you. The leg, your legacy, it begins with who you are. Moses was known as the most humble man on the face of the earth from Numbers 12.3. And so there is this sense that, that it begins with you. 
you're going to be remembered for who you are and how you act and what you did and what you didn't. So it, it does begin with you. Okay? But, but here's the thing. Did, did Moses mostly get remembered for his early murder and his early arrogance and, and all of that? Did he get remembered mostly for that? No. What did he get? Mem- he got his legacy. He got remembered for the stuff that God did in him. The stuff that God did once he was broken. The stuff that God did once he's like, oh, God, I, I don't have anything to bring. I, 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 I can't even talk. And God says, now I can use you. And so your legacy begins with you. But it really becomes about what you let God do in your life. Or it can be. And that's what we see with Moses. Uh, so the second thing is your legacy isn't just about you. Okay? Your legacy starts with you, but you shouldn't do it all alone. There's this great, there's this great part in Exodus. Exodus means the coming out of or the leaving Egypt. And that's really the story of their departure from Egypt. And, and so there's this place where Moses, you know, it was a hard work. There's a million people. They were going through the wilderness and God had them on this journey. And, and Moses was busy. Moses was busy. And so what he did is he said, hey, babe, why don't you go home to your folks' place? And literally, he sent his wife and his kids to be with the in-laws. All right? He said, just let me, I, I can work a lot more. And just, this isn't, I don't want you to live in a tent, babe. You go there, right? So he sends his, his wife home to be with her parents. And there's a place in Exodus, in Exodus 18, where uh, the father-in-law, Jethro, and his wife and kids, he brings his wife and kids back to him, okay? They, they've settled, they kind of got the desert thing figured out. And, and so he brings... Um, Moses' family to him. And they have a great reunion and they, they worship the Lord together. And then Moses goes back to work. So after a couple days of hanging out with, with his father-in-law and celebrating their return, then he goes back to work. And Moses does what he does every day. And uh, he goes and he sets, uh, sets down in his chair. And I don't know if they, you know, blow a shofar. I don't know what they do, but somehow the people know it's time to come, right? And the people start coming. And they come, and they come. And Moses is like, well, I'm the leader. I'm the one who hears from God. So um, pretty much everybody who has a need, they got to come and talk to me, right? So-and-so's tent peg is too far over on mine, and so-and-so's whatever fell over and ripped my thing, or um, so-and-so's cow destroyed my this. And, and so Moses was making decisions on every little thing, Right? And so Jethro, being the amazing father-in-law that he is, um, looks at that and he says, man, what you're doing, that's no good, right? All right, so um, go ahead and jump to Exodus uh, 18, if you would. And this is what he says in Exodus 18. Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, and he says, what are you really accomplishing here? Okay, he says, what's really happening? And Moses says, well, listen, I'm the one who hears from God. I'm the one... I'm the one, you know, so the people, they've got to hear from me, okay? And Moses' father-in-law continues in verse 17. Um, or, well, there we go. Why are, go ahead, go back. Let's read the other half of that. Sorry. Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Okay? Why are you the only one doing this? Now, Moses was humble, and we already read that. Moses was humble, but, but evidently, he worked a lot like you and I do. He was stupid, Right? 
he didn't figure out how to train other people and let other people help, right? He, he was humble, um, but he didn't think about multiplying. He, he didn't think that other people could do it maybe as well as he could. And he just was willing to take the responsibility. How many of you know it's harder to, it's harder to actually let other people do it? How many of you believe that? Right? Okay. Now, most of us who raise their hands are, most of us are people who are pretty good at doing what we do. Right? And so there's, there's a little bit of a laziness with that, and there's a little bit of pride with that, right? And it's like, well... It's just not worth the time, to, and they aren't going to do it right, and it's just easier to do it myself. And when you really stop and think about it, is it easier just to do it yourself? No, it's not easier to do it yourself. That's why we have tons of, tons of small things that kind of work that, that only get as big as you, that only get as big as me. Um, one of the, so this is just a simple illustration. Uh, you know, we moved here last year, and... And so we really didn't buy a house until January, December. And, um, and so around May, obviously, I had to spend a lot of uh, time figuring out what kind of garden or yard, right? Around May, you got to buy like a, a lawnmower I had to get and all that kind of stuff. Because we, anyways, we left all that stuff in Africa. And so, so I'm at Home Depot, right? And so there is a, a weed whacker on sale, Okay. On sale, it was, I don't know, 69 bucks, something like that. But it's like gasoline and mixed gas, and that's what I would typically choose and just use a cheap one. But what do I know? I know that my wife will never touch that thing, right? First of all, the gas factor, no, not touching it. And I know that she won't let my boys touch that thing, right? Because the gas factor, right? And because uh, boys and gas, I don't know about your experience, but anyways. Um, so are you tracking with me? So next to it, $40 more is a really cheesy, frustrating, battery-operated Wii Whip thing, right? Okay, so which one actually gets more work done in my house, in my scenario? The cheesy, more expensive, little battery-operated Weed Whacker. Does that make sense? Now, believe me, I had to, I had to choose just because I didn't, I didn't want to spend more money, all right? I didn't want to buy that, but... But at the same time, I know that if I'm the only one who can use the weed whacker, then, then what good is that, right? I got four boys, right? So do you understand what I'm saying? So it, at some point, some of us need to say, it really kills me, but there's other people who can do this just as good as I can. There's other people who might do it differently, but, but they can do just as good a job as I can. And how do I help them and equip them and, and free them to do that? And so that's exactly what's going on here with Moses. So Jethro says, man, this is no good. There's many other people. And what happens? What happens is exactly what Jethro said. Moses takes his father-in-law's advice and he appoints a bunch of judges and some sort of system where some people rule over smaller groups and other ones are more uh, area judges or, or whatever and, and tribe judges. And, and eventually... Moses only gets to, only has to, you know, see a few cases. But I want, I want you to see one other thing. Um, and I don't know if I have it up there or not, but here's, here's what it says in Exodus. He says, not only will you wear yourself out, this is in 18, excuse me, but he also says, 
you're going to really frustrate all the people. Okay, let me, let me get to this. Why are you trying to do this all alone? The people have been standing here all day long to get your help. Okay, uh, he says, this job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. You're going to wear yourself out and all the people too. How many of you know it's frustrating to, to watch somebody doing something and you know that there's a better way to organize it? Absolutely. All of you detail-oriented people in the room, all of you who are, who are high detail, man, you, know, you can think systems, right? Um, you just look at it and you're like, man, if they would just pour like two hours into organizing this, it could multiply so much more. And he says, you're going to frustrate the people greatly if you just do it yourself. And so the legacy of a leader, as we, so it really starts with you, but it's not all about you. God can use so many more people. And so as we come to this, what we see is Moses multiplied himself out into other leaders. And, and then uh, the next thing that, that really happens is eventually you will be a legacy. Okay? Eventually you will be a legacy. You'll be a, a memory, right? You and I eventually will be a memory. And so the question is, what, what are you going to be remembered for? What are you going to leave behind? Because Moses leaves some things behind. Um, let's take a look at it, even as we get going. Um, so Moses trained and discipled a guy named Joshua for years. If you look back in the story, when Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments, who's the only one that went with him? his young apprentice, his young aide, Joshua. In, in fact, the Bible says that, um, that Joshua was with him from the time that he was very young. And so Moses, all the while through this process, all the while going through the struggles of how to lead and how to multiply, he was pouring into a young man named Joshua. Okay? And, and there eventually comes a time where God says to Moses, hey, your time is coming to an end. Your time is coming to an end. And, and God right away tells Moses who to appoint. He doesn't pick somebody far off. He doesn't pick somebody from, you know, a different tribe or even out of the nation or whatever. Not some random guy, not some random person. He picks the person that he's been training for years, who has Moses' heart, who knows the history Okay, and so for you, what does that look like at work? What does that look like at work? Now, some of you say, well, you know, I have no, I have no ability to, to hire people in or out. I have no say as to the way it goes. But, but really, at work, no matter what your job is, do you have somebody that you pour into? Do you have somebody that you say, that guy is willing for me to put my time into? Uh, I grew up, uh, our family owns a union electrical shop. And so union shops, if you've been around them, you get people in and out and all that kind of thing. And we had a guy who, a journeyman, who he was great with apprentices. He trained up apprentices. The union loved him because they knew that if, if an apprentice got with him, they were going to, they were going to grow. And, and, and not only just his time, but it would be things like, like tools. He, he would usually, after an apprentice worked for him for a while, he would always buy him a special tool that he didn't have in his tool bag and give him a gift. And, and there's just, there are people who are amazing at raising people up. If you're that person who says, it's just easier for me to do it myself, how much harm in there is there having an aide who can watch you? But it takes a bit of effort, doesn't it? It takes a bit of thought. 
What does that look like at home? Um, in, uh, in my home, uh, mom, I love you if you're listening, but, uh, but my mom would not let us load the dishwasher, right? Because the dishwasher had to be done just the way the dishwasher had to be done. So for me, is loading the dishwasher something in my mind that I do? It's not, right? Because I was never allowed to, wash the, I was never allowed to load the dishwasher because I wouldn't have done it effectively or efficiently enough, right? Um, the bigger picture is that the more people you have loading the dishwasher, the more dishes get done, right? And so uh, that, I wouldn't technically call that a fault. That would be just a... Uh, that would be just a slight imperfection in execution from my mom. That's probably the only, that's the only negative thing at all. Um, so, uh, but do you know what I mean? Like to, to raise somebody up and Moses was doing it all along. We don't see where God ever told him to do it. He just, he was smart enough to know I need somebody to help me. I need somebody to carry my stuff. I need somebody to lean on. And Joshua uh, was that guy. Let me ask you a question. There were a number of, if you know the story, there was a number of times that rebellions happened. Um, The people were mad at Moses and they didn't want to have anything to do with it. Joshua was his aide the whole time, right? There were a number of people, even Moses' brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, and they rose up with the people against Moses and Joshua stayed with him. And so my question to you is, have you ever been in a place where you have been like Joshua? You've been the aide? And, and you said, well, God, how long until, like, I get to, how long, God? Like, I'm still working for this guy, Moses, and he's getting old. He's like 110. He's like 115. He's like 120. God, have you ever been in that situation? Do you know what? We don't hear any of that coming from Joshua. Because who's in charge of Joshua? God's in charge of Joshua. God obviously, ha- Joshua obviously had a good relationship with God. And we don't find him kicking and, and frustrated and always starting to, trying to start his own camp and go his own way. And what we see from, what we see from Joshua is we see, we see he serves well. And then who chooses him? God chooses him. He said, now it's time for Joshua to lead. So maybe you're that person. Maybe you're Moses and you need to have an aide. And we don't even know. Maybe Joshua had a couple aides of his own, a couple assistants of his own, guys that he was raising up. Because that's the way it works, isn't it? If somebody pours into you and they teach you how to do something, and what do you end up doing? You teach somebody else how to do it. And you give the same way you've received. And so today, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the legacy of a leader. Um, literally, let me read this to you where where God says to, to take Joshua and to pray for him. Um, because that's really what the Bible says. You know, we were talking this week. Let me get to that in just a second. We are talking this week uh, with Life Together leaders. How many of you are in a Life Together group? Anybody here? Life Together group? Okay. That's about right. Just to let you know, about 25% of our church, uh, of the people who come to our church are t- in Life Together groups. Okay? Right around there. And, and if you would talk to somebody who's in a Life Together group, typically they would say, it's... It's been one of the most amazing things in my life. It, the relationships I have, the encouragement to pursue Christ, the way I learn, and it, it just is the way to go. And so most people that you would talk to, if you, know, if you see them in a Life Together group, most of them would also say it's kind of scary. It's kind of scary to step into community and to be genuine, to reveal myself. And so anyways, we're talking about Life Together leaders. And uh, in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 11 through 13, 
This is what Paul says about the body of Christ. I don't know if we have that or not over here. Ephesians uh, 4 says this. It says, he's the one who gave these gifts to the church. Okay, now these gifts are, are spiritual gifts that if you're a Christian, all of us have a different variety of spiritual gifts. Okay, this isn't, this isn't job titles, all right? Um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Okay, their responsibility is to build up God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Literally, to equip the people of God for works of service is the way the NIV says it. To equip the people of God for works of service. And so pastors, teachers, leaders okay, in the church, their job is to build everyone else up so that the work can multiply. Our life together leaders work together, and most of them are, are pastors in their spiritual gifting. That's what they do. They shepherd people. They love people. They want to take the word and help people grow. Okay, And so if you're in a Life Together group, chances are you've got a mixture of leaders who are, are pastors, shepherds, teachers who want to pour into you and to build up the body of Christ. Does that make sense? And so that's exactly um, the kind of thing that Moses did when he spread the judges out to rule over, to pastor, to make decisions, to help lead the people. And then here in uh, Numbers, or yeah, in Numbers, we see that God says, Take Joshua and lay your hands on him and commission him to lead, okay? Lay your hands on him and commission him for going forward. Uh, in Numbers 27, uh, we're going we're gonna to see him do that. In Numbers 27, uh, starting in verse 18. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, okay? And lay your hand on him. And again, that's not some random guy who's like, Okay, Joshua, son of Nun, who is that guy? No, that's, that's your closest apprentice, right? So he says, take Joshua, lay your hand on him. Okay, that's verse 18 and 19 following. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and the entire assembly, which is all the people, okay? And commission him in their presence. And verse 20. Give him some of your authority so that the whole uh, Israelite community will obey him. Okay, so that's what he says, lay your hands on him. Go forward to verse 22 and 23. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and had him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole assembly. And so this was a, was a church, it, I mean, it was like a, a church gathering. They were all gathered together. So he took Joshua, had him stand before him, verse 23. Then he laid his hands on him and he commissioned him as the Lord instructed through Moses. All right, so we find Moses doing exactly what God commands him to do. To, to take this one that he's raised up, to commission him and send him out in, in, uh, in service, in leadership. And so today, what we're going to do as a church, just really following in this same example, is a lot of times, especially if you just attend here, if you're not in a Life Together group or you're not serving somewhere, you, uh, you don't know about all the leaders that we have here. You might think that there's a couple people up here that lead we have literally dozens and dozens of leaders here. And so as we approach this seventh year of our, um, or the eighth year of our existence as a church, as we look forward to this next year, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to commission all of our leaders this morning.